So I understand the uh, fear of snake, of tarantulas, okay? I was on a mission trip, you know, hairy, long-legged tarantulas. I was on a mission trip, and uh, there was a tarantula in my shower, believe it or not. <laughs> so I crushed him with my shoe. <laughs> I'm not really that afraid of tarantulas and spiders and snakes and bridges anymore. So there's sort of the silly side of fears, right? There's sort of these phobias we live with. And then there's the more substantial fears we deal with, right? Like being alone. Like being rejected. Like divorce. Like debilitating disease. Like dying. So I think if I were to say my most substantial fear in my life is the fear of losing a child. I remember um, my oldest son, Chris, was traveling. He does medical missions trips. He was traveling through Heathrow Airport in London, and that very day there was a terrorist bombing in Heathrow. And I can remember just surrendering the situation to God and just asking for God's protection over him. My uh, next son, Jimmy, he uh, is in the Army, and he happens to be in Kuwait right now, and he's been up to Iraq, and he's been in Syria. Um, He wants to do things like special ops, And so, for me, it's an entrustment to God of that which I can't control. The last couple of years have been, for me, a time of uh, recovery from being very sick. I had a journey into the woods to went to a place that I'd never been before. I really didn't know the way out. Things like PTSD that I'd never experienced before, facing, most recently, cancer. And these fears begin in our thoughts, right? And then we begin to dwell upon those thoughts, and they manifest themselves in feelings and become a stronghold to us, something that sort of just captivates our minds. I think about the psalmist who said, I sought the Lord, and he answered me, and he delivered me from all my fears. Our God is able to deliver us from fear, no matter what, the fear is. And that's what the story this morning is about in Mark chapter 4 and verse 35. Last week, we were looking at the uh, story of Jesus turning the water into wine. And we learned a number of things that are worthy of us mentioning again. The first of them is that not every miracle happens in the same day as the problem happens. Sometimes we're put into a waiting process of waiting upon the Lord. In the case of the turning of the water into wine, there was a problem that day, and Mary became aware of it and made Jesus aware of the problem, and Jesus solved the problem. Secondly, the newness is possible in any moment. So we want to hold on to our hope. That's why we come to church. That's why we read the Bible. That's why we memorize Scripture. That's why we do community Because God can always pour newness into the situation in which we find ourselves. No one was expecting that day that the water was going to be turned into wine. But Jesus showed up at the wedding. Jesus was present. and His power was there. And Jesus changed the situation dramatically. The third is worth remembering that we want to tell our problems to Jesus without telling him how to fix the problem. Notice that when Mary was at the wedding... She didn't, you know, tell Jesus how to fix the problem. 
She didn't go to the neighbors begging, right? She didn't hyperventilate. She simply told the problem to Jesus. They've run out of wine, just like we've run out of many things. And then be open to the unfamiliar, because God's solution may be quite outside your box, which we'll see again this morning. This morning, you see a picture, we can go to the next slide, of some refugees leaving out of North Africa, war-torn Syria, and coming to seek refuge. Crowded boats, temptuous seas, high costs incurred, but yet on a pathway to freedom. I like to think about us as believers that we're also on this amazing pathway to freedom, that God wants to set the captives free, that no matter what has been holding us captive, God has the power to set us free from. And he wants us to stay steadfast in our freedom and not let fear take over our lives. Now we turn to Mark chapter 4 and verse 35. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, he took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him, and a furious squall came up, and the waters broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, teacher, Don't you care if we perish, if we drown? He got up and rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and was completely calm. And he said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they were terrified. And they asked each other, Who is this, that even the winds and the waves obey him. Discipleship. The disciples were asked to do what seemed to be a relatively easy thing. The sun was setting in the west. It was a perfect picture kind of evening. The skies were clear. The seagulls perhaps were squawking. And these disciples were fishermen, masters of the sea. Peter would have hoisted up the sail to embark on this five-mile journey across the sea. I mean, it was to be a pleasureful, pleasure-filled experience. They could break out a deck of cards and play a game of spades. Peter and Andrew, brothers, playing against James and John. And the loser, if the wind stopped blowing, would become the oarsman on the boat. There was no stress Jesus said, let's go to the other side of the lake. And they did what Jesus told them to do. Now, that's the nature of discipleship, that Jesus tells us what to do, that Jesus tells us where to go, and we obey. So these were his disciples. I want to note, first of all, that trials often happen on the heels of obedience. That day when evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. It had been a full day of ministry to the multitudes. Jesus and his disciples had now hit the wall. And sooner or later, in our humanity, we will run out of our steam. Earlier, the multitudes pressed against Jesus at the water's edge, and Jesus had gone into the boat. 
most likely Peter's boat, and sat down on the boat. And now he says to them, let's go on over to the other side. The disciples and Jesus had been in the sun all day long, and the sun was beating down upon them. So Jesus, now the leader, takes an initiative. He gives the command to cross over the lake. And nobody in the boat was arguing about the command. Finally, the disciples were thinking, we get some time away with Jesus. We get away from the crowds. We get some peace and quiet. We get to turn off our cell phones. We get to be off duty. Nothing could be sweeter to them than the command. Let's leave the bustling multitudes, sail across the lake on a beautiful evening, unwind, decompress, catch our breath. So they're sailing off to somewhere remote with Jesus. So they set sail, they venture onto the sea, leaving the crowd in the dust. Now I have this picture in my mind, maybe you do too, of the crowd just always wanting more. They couldn't get enough of Jesus' teachings, of Jesus' healing, Jesus' miracles. But what a beautiful evening it was to sail. As the sun was setting, maybe you notice this, as the sun sets, there's this beautiful amber glow. The seas were calm, barely a ripple in the waves. The winds were still, you know, barely a whisper of wind. And so they took Jesus along, who was also in the boat. Now, Jesus is wiped out. What Jesus is modeling to us is it's okay to be human. His energy tank is on empty. There's nothing left. He's looking for some place to sleep. So here we see Jesus in his humanity. He can't stay awake anymore. His eyes have become heavy. He's given it all he has to give. He's in great need of some sleep. He's modeling for us it's okay to be human. I don't know if you ever experienced this or not, but those of you who travel, sometimes you travel, you know, several miles, hundreds of miles, and you cross over a few time zones, and you get into the flow of what you're doing when you get there, and you don't have much time to sleep. Anyway, you can't sleep very well in those time zones. So you get on board an airplane to come home, and what you do is you fall asleep. Now, I'm usually pretty game for a conversation on a plane, certainly reading on a plane, but I remember one plane I got on board, and I fell asleep, and they woke me up when I got there about 10 hours later. There was just pure exhaustion, right? I'd given it all I had to give. There was nothing left inside Pastor R, and I fell fast asleep, skipping dinner and drinks and conversation and everything else as I slept the whole 10 hours. So here's Jesus in this boat who's completely wiped out. I want to say that Jesus was 100% human and 100% God. Jesus modeled to us, it's okay to be human. And here we see Jesus in absolute human weakness. Jesus decides to go find a quiet place, and there in the quietness of the evening, Jesus falls asleep. Now, some people who couldn't get quite enough of Jesus decide to follow him in some boats. (laughs) So they have plans that are different than Jesus' plans. Jesus is hoping to have some downtime, 
but some others are sailing along trying to get a little more of Jesus. You ever sought a night's rest and you had a colicky baby? You ever gone to work to try to catch up and you got further behind? That's not happened to anybody here, right? You ever had a free Saturday and something broke in the house? You see, Jesus entered into humanity. He knows exactly how you feel. His eyes have grown weary. His heart has grown heavy. He has climbed out of bed with a sore throat. He has been awake late at night and early in the morning. A father was trying to teach his son how to play basketball, so he tossed the little six-year-old the ball and uh, modeled for him how to shoot it and make a hoop. And the little boy tried and couldn't get it very far. So the father said, do it like this. So the little boy tried again, and still it fell short. And the father said, do it like this. Then the little boy said, you know, Dad, it's easy when you're up there, but it's really hard when you're down here. You see, Jesus came from up there, down here, that he knows exactly what it's like to be you down here because he's entered into humanity fully. He knows what it's like to be human and exhausted and weary and burdened. And the storm wasn't expected. Now, we know the storm wasn't expected because it says suddenly a great tempest arose on the sea. Now, not all storms come suddenly. If you've ever lived in the Midwest, you can look there on the flatland and see the storm forming, you know, far away. Even here in the east, you can see in the summertime the clouds beginning to gather up, right? Kind of stacking up. You know, a thunderstorm is beginning to brew. A storm comes on them suddenly. You know, one minute they are shuffling the deck, and the next moment they are gulping down the sea spray. And the word used for the storm is a furious squall, not a gentle spring rain, not a summer thunder shower, not even a cloudburst or a rain spout. This is the word furious squall from the word seismos. Seismography is the study of earthquakes. We're talking about something that's a shaking event. Something that's very big and very large has rolled into the disciples' life. These masters of sea, there's a sea storm, a sea squall. You know, I believe that Peter and Andrew, being seasoned sailors, were trying to hold the sails down. But Matthew, the tax collector, is trying to hold his dinner down. I mean, what happened to the calm sea? What happened to the gentle breeze? Truth is that getting on board with Jesus is no guarantee against rough seas and stout winds. Sometimes when you're in the boat with him, there's a storm that's beginning to brew. You see, in this world, Jesus taught us that we would experience tribulation. There will be trials. Christ followers like you and I will face tribulations. Christ followers will have kidney stones. Christ followers will visit the ER. 
Christ followers will at time to time get stitched up. Christ followers will have bones being set. Christ followers will have kids that need to be seen. Christ followers will deal with Alzheimer's. Christ followers will face cancer. And as a result of all of this, we will deal with fear. We fear many times that we will not have enough. We won't have enough strength to face the cancer. We won't have enough courage to deal with the Alzheimer's. We won't have enough money to graduate college. We won't have enough savings to retire. You see, the disciples were dealing with their fear just like we deal with our own fears. They feared that they wouldn't have enough. Remember the story about the five loaves and two fish. They counted up. They went one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Not enough. But if they had counted to eight, five loaves, two fish, and Jesus ate, they would have had enough. You see, little becomes much when we take our little and put it into God's hands because God is enough. Many fear global catastrophes. I heard Hillary Clinton say in the debate that her greatest concern is nuclear weapons getting into the hands of the terrorists. Many would say the greatest threat in our world are groups like Al-Qaeda, Al-Shabaab, Hezbollah, Hamas, ISIS. I read recently about a Hollywood director's son who has joined forces with Al-Qaeda and now is in Syria. Here was a young man given every advantage, raised in schools in Cairo, Saudi Arabia, but he's now become a Muslim, and he has a religious conviction to bring jihad onto the world. There is terrorism in our world, and many are frightened. You know, terrorism is both a tactic and a strategy, often utilizing social media to gain publicity. And so many are terrorized by the terrorists. The Gospels are loaded with the words, fear not. The Gospels have, if you count them, 125 imperatives. And 21 of them are these words, fear not. Do not be afraid. Take courage. Be of good cheer. Fear may fill the world, but fear does not have to fill our hearts. Because when our mind is on the problem, our eyes are set on the problem, we exclude God from the solution, we exacerbate the problem. But when our minds are stayed upon God and God's promises, a mind stayed upon him and his promises, that mind will be kept in God's perfect peace. You see, fear may knock at your door, but you don't have to open the door to let fear in. And you certainly don't have to sit at the table over dinner with the fear. And by God's grace, you don't have to bring fear to bed with you at night. In the storms of life, they often strike us at the strongest point. A furious storm, an angry storm came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. 
Now, these men were fishermen. And ever since they were little boys with their daddies, they've been fishing out on the Sea of Galilee. They knew the Sea of Galilee like the back of their hand. Tall mountains, ravines, the winds that came up. It went from being very calm to being extremely chaotic. The skies suddenly darken. The furious squall comes up. And the waves begin breaking over the boat. And some of these guys are rowing, right? And some of these guys are bailing. But all these guys are terrified. These men are masters of the sea. They had seen their share of storms, but they had never seen a storm of this proportion. This was the greatest storm they had ever seen. They didn't have a radio to call out for help. They didn't have the Coast Guard to come rescue them. They were feeling overwhelmed and terrified and stressed out. Storms strike us sometimes where we are the strongest. A healthy person begins to have health issues. A financial person begins to face financial adversity. A well-planned person begins to face something they'd never seen before. A studious person hits an academic roadblock. A medical person has a medical crisis. We have no control over the storms. The storm here came out of nowhere. And we feel in the storm, don't we feel this? We feel very vulnerable. The storm has such power. I didn't know the storm was going to come up. It was going to last so long. The storm is too strong. Trials and tribulations have many shapes and many sizes, but they always put our faith to the test because we feel so alone in the storm. It seems as if God has fallen asleep. It seems as if God doesn't care. And it seems as if God is so impotent. In the storms of life, it appears that God, God doesn't care. Where was Jesus? <laughs> he had slipped into the back of the boat, the stern, and there he was sleeping. He deliberately, knowing the storm was coming, slipped into the back of the boat and was having siesta. I like to say it like this. The disciples were oaring and Jesus was snoring. The waves were lapping and Jesus was napping. Jesus was resting comfortably in the storm. In the back of the boat, sleeping on the ballast bag, Jesus had fallen asleep. Now, to the disciples, it appeared that Jesus didn't care. And when he woke up, he woke up to stressed-out people thinking they were going to die. The boat was filling up with water. Here were waves 20, 30, 40 feet high. Here were winds, you know, 70, 80, 90 miles an hour. They didn't think they would survive. So what did the disciples do? They began to rebuke and accuse Jesus. Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Do our lives matter so little to you that you can sleep in the midst of our storm? Do you even care about our well-being? They didn't question his strength. Are you powerful enough to handle the storm? 
They didn't question his knowledge. Are you aware of this storm that's brewing? They didn't question his experience. Have you ever dealt with storms like this before? They questioned the character and integrity and goodness of God. You see, fear corrodes our confidence in the goodness of God. It unleashes a flurry of doubts. It turns us into control freaks. If you ever meet somebody who is a control freak, or if you have issues with control, usually that stems from fear, something that we are very afraid of happening. Now we want to be so in control. And when life spins out of control, (laughs) we ask, what can I can control? I know what I can control. I can control my diet, right? I can comfort myself with food, or I can starve myself by not giving myself the food I need. But what we need to discover in the storm is not the strength of the storm. We need to understand the strength of our Jesus. The storm was bigger than they were, but the storm wasn't bigger than Jesus. The storm was stronger than they were, but the storm wasn't stronger than Jesus. (laughs) You see, when we're driven to the Lord... He immediately responds. He got up and rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Quiet, knock it off. Peace, be still. Jesus took total command of the situation. When there was no bread, Jesus multiplied the bread. When there was no wine, Jesus turned the water into wine. And now in this situation, Jesus takes complete control. He spoke to the waves, and the sea became glassy and calm. One moment the sea is churning, the next is calm. Then he rebuked the wind, and the wind died down. Now here's what I want you to know. Sometimes God calms the seas, but always God calms the child on the choppy seas. Sometimes he makes the storm to go away, but all the time he has the power to give peace to his children in the storm they find themselves in. He got up and rebuked the wind. He said to the waves, quiet, be still. God was in complete control of the situation. Do you believe that God is on the throne? Do you believe that God is sovereign? Do you believe that God has power? Do you believe that God can give you peace where you are? He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Do you believe that God is able, all-powerful, all-sufficient? Do you believe that God is present, that he is close by and near and with you? Do you believe that God cares about you, that he's willing to give you help? We live by faith. We believe in an unseen God, an all-powerful God, an invisible God, but an all-loving God. We believe that he has the power to take us to the other side. We believe that there will be storms, there will be tribulations. We believe that our faith will be tested. But we also believe that when we turn to God, we believe that he is present with us, 
that he cares about us, that he has the power to still the storm or still the child in the storm. See, I believe that he is God Almighty. I believe that he is Jehovah Shalom, the God who gives peace. I believe that he is Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. I believe that he is the God on the throne. You see, it's one thing to be terrified by the storm, (laughs) but it's quite another to be terrified by the God who stills the storm. And when he stilled the storm, they said they were terrified and asked each other, who is this (laughs) that even the winds and the sea obey him? So, let me ask some questions now in terms of takeaways from the story. What do we learn here about our own humanity? See, when Jesus crawls into the boat and falls asleep, we see his humanity. He had hit a wall, and he needed a siesta. Jesus was a person. Jesus was human. Jesus understands humanity. He knows what it's like to not keep his eyes open. (laughs) He knows what it's like to sleep through the storm. Jesus is human. And he understands our humanity. The disciples were expecting a quiet evening boat ride. And suddenly the calm turned to chaos. And they and their humanity were overwhelmed. And you, in your situation, may be feeling overwhelmed. So I just want to say this. They forgot God's promise. He's going to take them to the other side. They forgot God's presence. He was present with them in the storm. And they forgot God's power to still the storm. God has given you a promise to take you to the other side. God has given you a presence. He's given you his presence. He is always with you. And God has the power to still the storm. In our humanity, it's easy to get overwhelmed. Overwhelmed with our schedule overwhelmed with our children's schedule, overwhelmed with our work, taking on more assignments, living out of a suitcase, dealing with complicated situations, overwhelmed. The disciples were feeling extremely overwhelmed in their humanity, and Jesus completely gets it. What does the story teach us about Jesus? That Jesus is in the boat, that God is in control, that God is on the throne, that when the enemy stirred up the storm and brought the attack, Jesus rebuked the winds and spoke to the winds and said, peace, be still. He was asserting his authority. Jesus is not only human, he is God. And when life seems out of control, he is in control. He is the maker and the master. The waves can't go rogue on Jesus. The winds can't blow when he tells them to stop. The seas can't pitch when Jesus tells them to be calm. You see, Jesus can still the seas. He can still the human heart. How does God calm our souls? We have to turn to him. The waves are large. The winds are fierce. But we have to turn to him to call upon his name, to hearken unto his promise, to believe that he is with us, to see him elevated high upon a throne. 
What truth is God teaching me? In the midst of my storm, I need to come to Jesus. I need to call upon the name of Jesus. I need to believe that Jesus hears my cry. I cried to the Lord, and he heard my cry, and he delivered me from all my fears, whatever they were. We need to learn to pray versus walking up and down the aisle. We need to turn to the God who is in control. You know, if somebody were carrying a heavy suitcase and their back was troubled by their heavy suitcase, they had a backache, what would you tell that person who's carrying a heavy suitcase? You'd say to them, set it down, right? Set it down. Quit carrying that heavy load. You got to set it down. You got to lay it down. You got to lay that burden at the feet of Jesus. You need to cast that care upon Him because He cares for you, right? To turn that care into a prayer. We need to ask God to help us. That's what He's teaching us. He's teaching us to come to Him and ask for help. (laughs) You see, last thing I want to say is, how do I apply this truth to my life? Well, we all have fears, right? Germs, spiders, heights, bridges, darkness, speaking in public, tree frogs, little fish, bees. Some of these fears are pretty silly, right? But some of our fears can get quite serious. Our fears are able to produce anxiety. We can get bogged down with our fear. We can get focused on our problem. We have to invite Jesus into the problem, right? And surrender the problem to him. I'll conclude with this. I'll invite the team up. A friend of mine said her major life lesson was this. She was always afraid of the ocean. And she would go with her family down the ocean, and she'd see the big, large waves crashing in, and she'd run away from the ocean. That's like scurry away from the ocean back to her family onto the beach. And so she was afraid to swim in the ocean. She was afraid to ride in the ocean. And her dad said to her, Honey, you know, you can spend the rest of your life being afraid of the ocean, or you can harness the power of the ocean, always respecting the ocean, but you can actually swim in the ocean. You can actually take a boogie board in the ocean. You can actually enjoy the ocean. So on one day, what she decided to do was to no longer be afraid of the ocean, she decided to dive into the ocean. And she discovered when she dove into the ocean that the ocean didn't destroy her. She discovered that there was a power greater than the power of fear, the power of courage. You see, what God does is he gives us the courage to dive into our fear to not be overpowered by our fear, but to discover there's a power that's greater than fear. And we all have an ocean, a place where God wants us to walk, but we have to believe and call upon his name to enable us to walk in that very deep place. So would you pray with me? Father, these disciples were just like us, overwhelmed, stressed out, fearful, And God, you met them exactly where they were. They cried out to you, God. You heard their cry. You didn't condemn them. 
You heard their cry. You brought peace, stillness. So here we are in a still place, a quiet place, a place to be honest and tell you, God, what really is going on in our hearts, fears about our lives, our futures, our kids, our finances, health. God, you hear our cries. So would you enable us, Lord, in this moment just to be honest with you and just lay it down, lay it at your feet. God, I'm concerned about this. I'm really worried. I'm just restless, restless inside, just overwhelmed. God, meet me. Would you give peace to my restless heart? God, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This may be